You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Coaching Inn. Today I'm in conversation with Joanna Lindenbaum from the Applied Depth Institute in North Carolina. And Caroline is really interested in archetypes and what, yeah, and what they impact they have in coaching. So Joanna, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's a real pleasure. So before we talk about work, let's talk about you. Tell us a bit about the journey that has got you to this point. Ah, love that question. Let me think how I can say it briefly without going on and on. But the short story is, um, you know, I never, ever thought that I would be a coach or an entrepreneur at all. I have my master's in art history. I was happily working at a museum in New York City, putting together art exhibitions. Uh, But on the side, in the evenings and the weekends, just out of my own desire to learn more about myself, to be more actualized, I would take different courses and read books on journaling. And, you know, one thing kind of led to the other until one day I took a six-week course on ritual, Uh um, which also I fell into. I don't don't know how I, I ended up there. But the course was really about how women throughout millennia had been, no matter what religion, what civilization, for, for millennia, they had been the keepers of ritual for the oh. community. And there was something about that that really resonated for me because this idea of ritual is really about taking all of these different thoughts, ideas, fears, desires, visions inside of ourselves and making them tangible so that mm-hmm. we can process them. To make a long story short, I I got deep into ritual and then that led me to say, you know what, I want to formalize this more with coaching. So I became a coach somehow ended up leaving my job in the art world to be <laughs> unlikely to be an entrepreneur. And my business just grew from there. Wow. So that's kind of the beginning, the origins. But I'll just fast forward to now. And what I'll say is, for many, many years, I was a business coach. I helped women uh, build their their practices, different types of transformational practitioners. And of course, I was always helping with the inner work as well as the outer strategy, because the inner work was my interest. And what I realized one day, it was kind of a, a light bulb moment, was that the reason why my clients were having so much success, it wasn't so much because of the marketing strategy I was teaching them. That was good, but it wasn't that. It was because they were going back into their work and emulating the transformational skills that I was modeling for them in our work. And because of that, their clients were resigning and their clients were telling others about their work. And that's when it all of a sudden hit me. What I'm really doing here is teaching practitioners 
how to be more transformational in their work. And that is a big piece of what creates a sustainable business. So that's how I end up tra- ended up training practitioners. That's so interesting. The journey from ritual, which many of our listeners will will identify with with different words. So like sacramental or systemic practice, mm-hmm. that kind of outward embodiment of the internal stuff stuff. Yes. Wow. So where did the archetype work come from, Joanna? Great question. So it came a little bit from ritual. And a little bit from studying Carl Jung. Ah. So in the these rituals, you know, we were I was learning to like we're saying to to take different ritual actions in order to symbolize or process what's happening internally. And one of the tools um, was also this idea that there's lots of different types of energies that we can call on at any time. We can call on the comedian. We can call on the artist. We can call on the judge. And because we have all of those things inside of ourselves, we can look at it as an entity outside of ourselves as well, an archetypal energy. Um, And so that's really when those seeds were planted for me. Uh, this idea also that no archetype is bad or wrong. Um, the judge can be used for good in the world and inside of ourselves just as much as the artist can be. Yeah. So archetypes are spoken of in all sorts of different spaces within the coaching space aren't they and it will be a new word to some and a very familiar word to others so what's the impact in coaching Mm, such a great question I think the best way I can answer that is to say this similar to what I said earlier as humans we have access to all of these different kinds of archetypes and What oftentimes happens, and this is another kind of Jungian concept, what oftentimes happens is that we make certain archetypes or energies good and other types of archetypes or energies bad or wrong. And when we do that, in essence, we're denying natural, normal parts of ourselves that we need in order to feel whole, in order to feel authentic, and in order to have access to all of our resources and our superpowers so that we can accomplish what we want to accomplish in our lives, which is essentially why people hire coaches to help them accomplish what they want to accomplish in their lives. My secret self mission is to support clients as they're accomplishing you know, what they're wanting to accomplish to also feel more whole and complete and satisfied inside of themselves. So by reclaiming these archetypes, by inspecting these archetypes, by looking at how they function in our lives in healthy ways and in unhealthy ways, and then learning how to leverage them for good, it helps with all of those goals. Wow. Wow. So what do you want our listeners to know? Mm. 
Well, one of the things, there's so many different angles and things to explore when it comes to archetypes. But I think for now, you know, one of the most important things is to, uh, it can be really helpful for coaches to look at archetypes through the lens of resistance. Mm-hmm. So as coaches, and I'm sure you can resonate with this and any, anyone who has helped or supported another human being probably, you know, knows what I'm talking about. It is not always the case that someone sets a goal and visions the goal and strategizes the goal, the action steps, easily takes step after step after step after step (laughs) without getting stuck at all, without procrastinating, without self-sabotaging, et cetera. And oftentimes, you know, it's part of our job as coaches to not only create, co-create the vision and the strategy and check in, but support our clients along the way with the Mm -hmm. obstacles. And oftentimes when obstacles come up, someone maybe doesn't uh, you know, take an action. They didn't make the video that they that they really wanted to make for their business, or they didn't, you know, ask their crush out on the date, even though they had decided that they really wanted to do it, or they didn't start their meditation practice. Oftentimes, the reason clients don't take action isn't just because they, you know, life is too busy or this, that, or the other thing, but it's because there's a fear, right? There's maybe a fear of visibility or a fear of getting hurt or a fear of being rejected or, you know, we can, so many different core fears, but anyway, um, I'd call that when we don't take action because of that, that is resistance. Mm. And Oftentimes, when we go into resistance, um, we act like somebody who isn't us. (laughs) So I'll give an example of that. I'll give an example of myself, what I do. So this is one of the archetypes, what I call the resistance archetypes. When I have something that I really want to get done, but I have a fear that comes up around it, I go into my victim cell. Oh, this is so hard. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm just never going to be able to do it. I don't know why other people can do it, but I can't. Now, that is not my natural, normal energy, but it's almost as if a fear comes up. And because I'm not willing to look at that fear in that moment, I distract myself from it by going into the victim archetype. Um, You know, there's lots of different resistance archetypes, but essentially what happens is we have an action we want to take, a core fear comes up, and I, I like to use the visual like with my fist. So there's a core fear, but our egos are smart. They don't want us to look at the fear because if we look at the fear, we might actually end up taking the action So instead, a resistance behavior wraps itself around it. And then we we get distracted by the resistance behavior instead of leaning into the fear. 
So by using this concept of archetypes, it helps us actually poke holes into the resistance so that we can start to look at the core fear itself. So it sounds like there's something about naming it. That's what, that is the first step. Naming the thing. Is naming it. And so as practitioners, as coaches, having an understanding of what the different resistance archetypes are and how they show up is really helpful because then that can allow us to co-create awareness on it with our clients. Now, the tricky thing in naming it is because this is already a very sophisticated distraction mechanism from the ego, um, it's not as simple as a coach saying to their client, you know, I think your judge is showing up right now, um, or I think your needy one is showing up right now because the client will reject that, right? Because there might be shame in it and because they, you know, the name they they need to kind of approach the naming of it in a way that feels safer and better for their system. So we want to be using all of our creating awareness skills and techniques to be able to name it with our clients. So my question is, Joanna, how do you name it in partnership without taking power or being a bit diagnostic? Exactly, exactly because we always want to have a power with dynamic mm. and always, always let our client's agency be intact, right? So as normal, <laughs> I always like to say, whenever people ask questions, I have five different answers. <laughs> Which one would you like to give? <laughs> I'll, I'll share one. But before I do, you know, it's important to say you always want to coach the what based on the who. And what that means is every different coaching moment or scenario might require a different strategy. So for one client, naming an archetype might look one way in one moment. And for another client, it might look another way. And even for the same client, depending on the day, it might look different. Because every conversation is unique, isn't it? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. We want to meet each client's needs in those moments. So, well, so I'll give you two examples, right? So as we're doing our deep listening with a client, let's say we see their victim self has come up. If as we're listening, we see that that client is pretty well grounded that day, pretty well regulated, maybe they have in the past mentioned They tend to get very helpless when they get overwhelmed. And what we know about that client is that they tend to be more open. We might be a little bit more direct with that client, right? And leaving their full agency intact, we might say something like, you know, there's there's something that I'm noticing about what's coming up for you right now. I might not be right. You know best. So tell me if I'm getting this right or not. But I notice that every time you go to take an action that will lead to greater visibility, let's say, um, even though you are someone who is so capable, 
you tend to get very overwhelmed in the moment, almost as if the whole world is against you. Does that land? Does that resonate? Am I getting that right? Right. So, so, there's, so there's something about saying what you see as an offer. Exactly. If someone, if you know someone is ready for it, and if you notice in my languaging the whole time, I'm, I'm letting the client know that it is just an offer. It is just a toss. I am willing to be wrong as the practitioner, which we always need to be. And I trust the client's inner wisdom. Yeah. Right. And that's partnership. Exactly. Exactly. Now, if we don't want to go the more direct route, we might just ask um, a question, right? A breakthrough question in that moment. Uh, Something like, what do you notice about your response to making this video that reminds you of other situations you've been in before? Right. And that can then possibly open the way to kind of step by step go deeper. So you're noticing and you're getting them to notice, too. Yes. I'm really I just want to say to our listeners. Because our thing is about simplifying coaching and being very, very simple about the way that we work with people. And what's really interesting, Joanna, about what you're describing is you're describing something in in quite complex terms that actually when you describe it in practice is really simple. Yeah, I, I love that observation. It's it's so true. What I what I often say to practitioners when I train them, or the way that I train practitioners is we spend a lot of time before I teach any kind of strategy or skill, we spend a lot of time learning the human behavior behind the strategy and the skill. That's kind of the, the complicated part, which is I think important for us as practitioners to understand. But then when it comes to how we um share it with our clients we do want it to be simple yeah noticing and offering we might disagree on how much we need to know about human behavior but we won't have that conversation now i love that (laughs) i'm open to that too. i think we might disagree quite a lot but that's okay so my question to you is what are the archetypes that you observe joanna yeah so I won't give an exhaustive list because we would be three hours in if I did. (laughs) Because there is, there are so many, I mean, there's just so many, right? And they're every, it's unique to each person. But I will name some of the most common that I see um, and that I've seen over the years. So the first, as I mentioned, is the victim. So again, this is not labeling. And I want to be really clear. Um, an archetype doesn't mean that the person is this, the person is a victim. It means that they have a part of themselves that gets activated mm-hmm. when they're scared that is of this energy, but it is not all of them. Right? Yeah. So The victim archetype shows up usually for someone who is very, very capable, someone who is very resourceful, someone who has a lot of choices. But when they're under duress, when they go into a place of fear, all of a sudden it's like this this, uh, energy comes over them and they feel that they're helpless, they have no choices, they have no agency, 
someone or something is against them and holding them down, not able, uh, not allowing them to move forward, right? So that's the victim. Another very common one, I sometimes go into this one myself as well, is the judge. So the judge is someone who, when they're under duress or under fear, they become very critical, either of an idea of themselves, of someone out there, or even the coach themselves. So this might look like um, the client decides in a session that they want to raise their rates. And then they don't raise their rates, (laughs) get to the next session, and the coach says, I know you had said in our last session that you wanted to raise your rates and you didn't, you know, let's take a look at that. And the client might say, well, raising your rates isn't spiritual at all and it's wrong and immoral. And they may even say, and you know what, coach, you're the one that suggested it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what I, one of the things I always say With all of the archetypes, but especially the judge, if it is being projected onto the coach, of course, as practitioners, we always have to check our own filters because we do make mistakes sometimes. And we do have to take responsibility if we have. But if we check our filters and we sense that it's not a mistake that we've made, but it truly is the archetype coming up, then we want to navigate that archetype with the client. And as you say, the word judge, uh, 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 the listeners who know this is about them will know, will laugh now. There's a, there's a, there's a phrase that often comes up in coaching supervision with a number of people, which is the coaching police, which Ah. is, which is the judge about, am I doing this right or not? Yes. Am I doing it badly? Am I doing it correctly? Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I tend to attract students who are highly ethical because I am. And what I've noticed is for those of us that are highly ethical, we have the tendency for that judge archetype to come up because it's so easy to use that as a decoy for when we're actually just scared. <laughs> oh, yeah, interesting. Interesting. So, so you got the judge and you've got um the victim. I'll name a couple of others. Yeah, do. So, um another one is the needy one. And Oh my giddy one- aunt. So, I've got a secret addiction which I'm coming out with to married at first sight. Do you know married at first sight? No. Oh, it is the most terrible TV show you could ever want. There is a USA and an Australia and a UK. It's dreadful TV. I will have shocked some of our listeners by saying that. But basically, you marry a stranger. And in the UK series at the moment, there is a couple where one of them is the needy one. I mean, like the Uh, archetype. (laughs) Yes. Yes, right. We can spot that. And as coaches... We can spot the needy one right away because they're usually being needy on us, right? Mm -hmm. So the needy one is someone who is incredible, capable, can get things done by themselves, doesn't really need extra help. But when they have something that they're trying to achieve that really brings up a lot of fear, 
all of a sudden we're getting emails every day with many, many paragraphs. Um, what should I do? And I really need help. And maybe even coach, you're not there enough for me. I need more, you know, all of, all of it. Right. Mm. Um, and again, it's not, it's just that this is a reaction to being scared to do something. Mm. So, and you know, what can oftentimes happen with the needy one for practitioners is because we naturally want to give, um, we kind of give and give, but what we don't realize is that we're not doing our client any favors yeah. by being the crutch yeah. for them. Yeah. So that can create main... codependency, can't it? Exactly. Exactly. Right. And yeah. that's not really what coaching is supposed to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's so many interesting lenses to notice in conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, I find it really helpful for a couple of reasons. Um, You know, in addition to everything we've said about, but the other reason why I think it's important is because oftentimes, what can happen for coaches is that we're supporting our clients to achieve their goals. And then our clients get stuck, right? For the reasons that we're talking about, they get stymied. And what can sometimes happen for coaches is when our clients get stuck, we either go into, they're not good enough. There's something wrong with them. Or I'm not good enough. What am I doing wrong here? Mm. And neither of those are helpful, right? Looking at obstacles through the lens that we're talking about today the per- the perspective that's different is, oh, they're stuck. This is just a natural, normal part of the growth process. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing that needs to be fixed here. What's required next is to hold space for more awareness and different yeah. solutions. Yeah. So a kind of coping strategy approach, which is how do you navigate your archetype rather than how do you get rid of it? Yes. Well, and what I'm going to say is not get rid of it. Get rid of the lower level behavior of the archetype. But remember what I said earlier, we need all of the archetypes. So part of the work that I do with clients and train practitioners to do is to help people find the superpower that's embedded in the archetype. Yeah. So a couple of phrases come up for me as you're talking, Joanna. One is that everything is normal, which is one of our philosophies of coaching. So it doesn't really matter what that is, but it's normal and that's okay is what you were describing. And the other one is it's okay to be human. Yes. And yes. we can be friends with our imperfections. Yes. Yes. On the everything is normal piece, a couple of months ago, I heard Brene Brown say the opposite of pathologizing is normalizing and i i just i love that so much because i really believe it's one one of our biggest roles as coaches is to support our to normalize our for our clients because what that does is it takes shame away from the natural normal messiness of being a human being 
And without the shame, there's just so much more possibility for forward movement. Yeah, because shame just gets in the way, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's bigger than the, it can cause more problems than the core fear itself. Yeah. I remember when I was talking to my supervisor many years ago about having imposter syndrome, she said, would you like yourself if you didn't? Mm. Which was such a beautiful way of normalizing it. To say, actually, you know, it's like, you know, because she could have gone, oh, lots of people have that, which is a bit mm-hmm. minimizing. Mm-hmm. But would you like yourself if you didn't have it is very normalizing because I thought, no, I would not. Yes. Oh, brilliant question. I love that. Yeah. 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 So what's your hope for your work, Joanna? Mm. So really, I mean, the biggest hope is to support practitioners in, I guess, two, maybe three ways. The biggest is so that they can serve their clients in better ways. Mm-hmm. You know, really just that rip. I, I believe so deeply in the power of coaching and the impact that we can, we have been making and can make on the world. So by teaching these techniques, my hope is just that uh, coaches will go out and do even better work And then I think the two byproducts of that that are also my hopes are number one, um, through the work for coaches to feel more confident and more self-satisfied and just have so much more self-love and compassion, which I think we all need. And then also, as I said earlier, that this is going to help them grow their businesses because the better work we do with our clients, the more likely we are to create fans and renewals and referrals. And the better work we do on ourselves, the more human we become. <laughs> yeah. Cool. yeah. Well, Joanna, how do people find out more about your work? Hmm. Well, you can go to my website, which is, it's a little bit long, but it's applieddepthinstitute.com. There's lots of information and resources there. And then if anybody um, wants specifically to learn more about the resistance archetypes and how to use them, I also have um, a resistance archetype PDF that you can download and it has lots of others that we didn't get to talk about today and different steps to take when we um, work on this with our clients. Fantastic. Well, Joanna, what an interesting conversation. Yes, I enjoyed it so much. Thank you so much for coming to the coaching in today. Thanks for having me. So I'm Claire Pedrick and I've been in conversation with Joanna Lindenbaum. Thank you for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual hub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.